Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at BLC Plantation. We are going through the book of Romans for those joining us for the first time. And it's called Living God's Way. Living God's Way is the title of the whole book of Romans. I have learned, we have learned, that when we live God's way, it is the best way to live on earth. Amen, saints? It is. It truly is the best way to live life. Now we're in chapter 4, and then we're going to take a break because we're going to have Passover next week, talk about the Passover, then we're going to have Easter, and then we're going to invite you to look in on the Ten Commandments. Then we'll come back to Romans again. That's where we're going in the near future. The title of this morning's message is Made Right by Faith. Now remember, we just left that in chapter 3 of the book of Romans. So you think, why are we going to repeat it? (laughs) Think how many times mom and dad have to repeat to their kids over and over and over again. Here's what I told you to do, right? How many times have you told your spouse over and over again, pick up your clothes over and over again. Clean your dish in the sink. Don't squeeze the toothpaste this way. My dad and mom used to fight. Squeeze the toothpaste in the middle. No, squeeze it at the bottom. We're told, even in sports, over and over and over again, we're told to do the same things. So it kind of gets logged into our hearts and our brains. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're going to be looking at this again that we obtain righteousness through faith when we do that. Our accounts is credited righteousness. All of us know about our accounts being credited. How many of you have already gotten the government check? They credited your accounts, money that was not there, and la la, it appeared out of nowhere. I haven't gotten mine yet. So God credits your account righteousness. And without righteousness, you cannot see God. Now, in chapter 4, Paul is speaking to the Romans, which are many Jews, and he speaks to them first, and then to the Romans, the rest of the world. And the Romans, the Jewish Romans, they were thinking, well, I have Abraham as my father. And Abraham was right in the sight of God because when God was looking to build a nation, he found a righteous man, Abraham. That's how they thought. And because he was good, God decided to use Abraham. Well, Paul wants to punch holes in that. He wants to make sure that all the Jewish people know that Abraham was not good and was not righteous before God selected him. And that's what we're going to peek in on in chapter 4. We're going to look at how we're declared righteous without works, how we're declared righteous without religion, without religious activity, without religious ordinances, And how we're declared righteous by putting our confidence 
in the promises of God just like Abraham did. So let's look first of all that we're declared righteous by faith alone. Let's look at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 4 of the book of Romans. Here we go. Reading from the NLT. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and it was credited or the scripture teaches us, God counted him as righteous because of his faith in God. And you can go to Rome, excuse me, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, where this point is punctuated. When people work, he's going to explain to us now how irrational it is to think that works will get you to heaven. When people work, their wages are not a gift. That's what salvation is but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. The scripture teaches us that David, in verse 6 says, David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. I don't know about you, saints, but that is very comforting because how many things do I have to do before God accepts me? In fact, we kind of do that with friends. How many things do we have to do before our friends accept us, before I'm accepted on the team, before I'm accepted in my family, before I'm accepted in school, before I'm accepted in my circle of friends? What do I have to do? And you never feel you've done enough. Where God's saying, you don't have to do any of that. And David, after sinning, after committing adultery, after um, killing Bathsheba's husband, and then being convicted, like all of us are convicted of sin, said this in verse 7. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Boy, I, I was expecting some of you to just jump out of that seat because of what is just told to us. Because when I look at you and the bad sins you've committed, and when you look at me, the bad sins I've committed, aren't you glad they don't stick anymore? Well, let's look at it. We're declared righteous by faith alone. And you're, you're probably wondering why we're camping out here. But is there any doctrine that the chief enemy of man and of God desires to undercut and distort? It is the doctrine of salvation. So when God says, I credit your account righteousness, He's saying, you're saved. If Satan can confuse and err in regard to that doctrine, he has succeeded in keeping men 
in their sin and under divine judgment and condemnation if you're putting your confidence in works. The unbeliever will one day share with Satan and his demonic angels in the eternal torment of fire if you continue to put your trust in something other than Jesus. You see, every false religion of the world, whether heretical branch of Christianity or a highly developed pagan religion or primitive animism, is found on some form of salvation by works. I know when I got introduced to Christianity, it was, I was bombarded with religions. I'm talking about Christian religions. I won't tell you the name of them. But kept pounding in me that I had to work for my salvation. Now, later on, we'll talk about the transformation that gives evidence that you have righteousness. But right now, we're laying the groundwork that must be laid in order for you to enter into heaven and in order to have good works to be judged by at the judgment seat of Christ. Without exception, they teach that by one means or another, man can become right, these other religions, with God by obtaining righteousness on their own power. And if you're putting your confidence in that, you will fail. The entire fourth chapter of the book of Romans is devoted to Abraham whom Paul uses as an illustration of the central biblical truth that man can become right with God only by faith in response to the invitation from God, never by works. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but even believers forget this. Let me explain. The American Worldview Inventory 2020 survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, found that a majority of people who describe themselves as Christians, that's 52%, accepted, you guessed it, a work-oriented religion. So I'm not speaking to the choir. Len Munsell, president of Arizona Christian University, said the lack of understanding of basic Christian theology is stunning with potentially devastating consequences for individual souls and really for all aspects of American life and culture. He said it's a wake-up call for the church and for leaders in all areas of influence to speak, teach, and work to restore biblical truth. Many souls will be lost, he said, if people are misled by the false notion that we can earn our way to salvation. He said, you and I, or actually, Pastor Matt Chandler said this, you and I are so overstimulated, you and I are so overwhelmed with the fast-paced, energized entertainment that we have developed and a real idealized sense of life with a real low sense of pain tolerance. He is the pastor of a 14,000-member church called the Village Church. He said this, the church herself no longer is about discipleship. No longer is it about being shaped 
The longer is it about being informed, he said, it is about being entertained in the gathering. He quotes Paul saying, after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. I know since 1976 when I've been saved where I went to Sunday school, church, discipleship training, church, Tuesday visitation, Wednesday church, Saturday knocking on doors, and then start all over again. What has happened in my, in my lifetime, we have gotten rid of most of our discipleship our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies, all for the big wad of getting people in the church and entertaining them. That's it. It's the truth. It's happened in my lifetime. And people are illiterate in the Bible, in the church. That's why 52% believe I can get to heaven by my own righteousness or something I do. Let's look at it again. The evidence that faith alone justifies a man, not by works. Look at verse 1 through 4 again as we go over it. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. And what did he discover about being made right with God? If it was good deeds that had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. But that was not God's way, for the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. So the argument is presented. The logic that Abraham is justified by works is debunked. It's not from good deeds. Notice verse 4 and 5 again. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they earn. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. We're not saved by religion or by any religious activity. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, which we like to quote so much. For by faith are you saved. Through grace, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, the punch, punch, punch line, not of works, lest any bad man should boast. Think about people standing before God, and you ask people, how, how'd you get to heaven? Well, let me tell you what I did. And then you hear about 50 different stories. Where's God in the picture? So God's making it very clear. You're not saved by works. You see, God justifies the ungodly, because there are no godly people to justify. Because we learned in chapter 3 of the book of Romans that all are ungodly, all have sinned. As I said before, though, this should comfort every, every person that's lost and saved, that you can't earn your way to heaven and you can't keep your salvation by your works. Something else, not by works. He tells us that you can be saved, not by good deeds, and then in verse 6 through 8, not from being anybody special like Abraham or David. Notice in verse 6 through 8, which we read a few minutes ago, of course, King David and uh, Abraham were looked upon as heroes in the faith. And somehow they had special standing with God because they were righteous. But here you hear about King David 
after he committed terrible sins. And I want us to be careful. We're not ever saying it's okay to sin. As we talked about in our Bible study this morning, there is a consequence to sin. Even for the believer, if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, you find that people are taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And they've gotten sick because of it. Some have died because of it. So never think that we're promoting that you can get away with sin. But I also want you to quit judging people that sin. Let's think for a minute. We hear on the news, President Biden committed adultery and then had the person killed and he said he saved. And what would you say then? Or let's say someone, a popular preacher. Let's just pick the big church of Calvary. Let's say we hear about the pastor at Calvary committed adultery and then had the person killed, her husband. Immediately, what would every saint say? He's lost. He doesn't know God. You'd have to kill a lot of people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Thank God you're not judge. Thank God I'm not judge. Amen? Praise God. Can one person in this church that has been saved stand up and say, I've not committed some atrocities in the sight of God? Not one. That's why we sing so boldly about God's forgiveness. So he's saying this to everyone after he committed these horrendous sins. Do you know how you feel, saint, when you sin? Miserable. I wouldn't say, but a short period of time and went back to a particular sin. Wow, was I miserable. I remember, I remember this clear as it was yesterday. I took my Bible. I hugged it and went to bed with the lights on. I was scared that God was going to kill me. Have you ever been in that situation? It didn't happen to me before I got saved. Never dawned on me. But when I got saved and tried to dibble-dabble in some of the sin that I used to live in all the time. I was the most miserable creature on the earth. And David was miserable after he was convicted of his adultery and murder. And here's what he said. Oh, what joy. Thank you, God, for releasing sin from our lives. Thank you for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are, apart, are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. I look at some of the awful sins that I've committed, and I'm so thankful. I remember the Etch-a-Sketch board. Everybody remember those little boards that we got when we were little? If you had all your sins on there, aren't you glad? They can go like this, and they're gone because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, you're not declared righteous because of your works, which is good. Because, again, did I do enough for me to be accepted in your sight, Lord? So that's very comforting for the believer. For the unbeliever, it should be very comforting because they're thinking, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to obtain good standing with God? What do I have to do to be made right with God? They're thinking it's impossible. And it is. So scripture says, it is impossible. Remember, the rich man wanted to go to heaven, and God said he couldn't get into heaven because he was putting all of his faith in his riches. That was his God. And Jesus said, how 
hard it is for rich men to enter the kingdom of God. And then the apostles said, well, then who can be saved? And God, Jesus said, well, with man it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So it should be comforting to the lost that there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. Second thing he points out is you're declared righteous. Abraham was declared righteous before he was ever circumcised, before you're ever baptized, before you ever take the Lord's Supper. You are saved made right with God, he drills this point home because the Jewish people were putting so much stock in, I'm Jewish, I was circumcised the eighth day. Some of us have put our confidence in baptism. When did you get saved? Uh, I got baptized in 1999. I didn't ask that. When did you get saved? When were you born again? When did Jesus take your sins away? When did you fall in love with him? When did you start reading the Bible? When did you start giving to God? When did you start telling everybody about Jesus? When did that happen? Because when Jesus comes in you, you cannot remain the same. Amen? You can't. It's him at work in you. It's not you. Okay. You're going to take your earplugs out now. Declared righteous before rights. Let's look at it. Verse 9. I love going through the Word of God. And you looking in online, one of the things that we do here is we read the Word of God. In fact, I'm thinking on Easter, we're going to look at chapter 15. I'm thinking of reading the whole thing out loud. You might say, well, I'll just read it at home, then we'll be done. <laughs> but there's something wonderful about getting together with God's people and reading the Word out loud and singing to God and giving to God and, and worshiping God together. Amen. He said, don't forsake getting together with God's people as some are in the habit of doing on Sundays during the Miami Dolphin games and when there's a football game going, when there's a golf game going, when the seas are beautiful and the beach is nice. We got to remind them. We got to remind them. Don't forsake the assembly of God. You're, you're not going to hell because you forsake the assembly of God, but you're going to miss out on something. Amen? Okay, verse 9. You're declared righteous without all these rituals and rites and religious activities. You're righteous. Salvation and righteousness is for all. Notice in verse 9. Now, in this blessing, is this blessing only for the Jews? They thought it was. Or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Remember Gentile being a word for nations, all the other nations. Is it for them also? And the answer is absolutely yes. It's not for just you Jewish people. By the way, it's not just for us Christians when we get saved and we don't tell anybody else about it. It's for your neighbors. It's for your co-workers. It's for others. Don't hoard this gift that God's given you. In verse 10, he reminds the Jewish people that this righteousness being made right with God comes before baptism, before circumcision. See, they thought they were all right because they were circumcised. Automatic entrance into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine standing before God? Why should I let you in heaven? Oh, I was circumcised <laughs> You won't be standing in the flesh, so you won't be able to use that line of arguments. You'll be in the spirits. How you like that? Righteousness comes before circumcision. Notice verse 10. But how did this righteousness happen? 
this getting right with God happen? Was he counted as righteous, Abraham or David, only after he was circumcised? After you were baptized? Or was it before he was circumcised? The answer, clearly. God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. So you clearly see that righteousness comes not by works and not through baptism. Now, notice in verse 11, baptism or circumcision is supposed to prove you're already saved. It's kind of like getting up here and getting married and putting on the ring. Hopefully it proves you're already in love. That didn't work really well for me because I fell in love with my wife after I got married. I was infatuated with her before I got married. How's that, honey? That's the truth. That's the truth. I said, I got me a good-looking gal. Nobody else is going to get her. I'm going to lock her up. She's mine. Then I'll learn to fall in love with her. That's the truth. I'm telling you. I didn't know what love was about. I was a heathen that got saved and was learning all about love. So look, let's look at verse 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith. Already. Hear the word? Already. Before you got baptized, already you are saved. You have faith. You have righteousness. It's credited to your account before you're baptized. Before you were circumcised. Notice verse 12. Abraham was the faith father of those who were circumcised in the heart first, then outwardly also, because the Jewish people thought he was the father of the circumcised. But let's look at verse 12. Notice what God teaches us there. And Abraham is also, notice the word also, the spiritual father, not just of the Jews, but those who have been circumcised, that's in the heart. But only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see, when you go back to Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham was, or Sarah was 89 years old. My mom's 89 years old, and she'll, she'll be 90 years old this month. We're going to celebrate her birthday this month. Do you want to live that long? I don't know. If I'm in the kind of shape she's in and have the kind of brain that she has, yes. Can you imagine me? We're getting together for a big party, surprise party. Hope she's not looking on TV. I think she knows it now by now. Guess what? I have news. This, this has happened to us more than on a few occasions. We're celebrating a birthday, celebrating Christmas, celebrating a holiday, and one of our children tells us they steal and rob the glory from the celebration and say, I'm pregnant. <laughs> That's happened to us on more than a few occasions. Can you imagine my mother saying, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I, I can imagine some of us might have a heart attack right there. Wow. That's exactly what God promised Abraham and Sarah being 99 years old as a man, 89 years old, you know and I know it's impossible to have a child at that age. God wanted Abraham to know that and Sarah to know that, that they were dead and it is impossible with the human being to be able to have a child. 
And so the scripture very clearly teaches us that he was the father of not only the circumcised, but the uncircumcised. That means before they did any religious activity, he is their father. And if we believe through faith, we are Abraham is our father. By the way, in verse 13 reminds us that this is not a new phenomenon. Let's look at verse 13. Because many people who read the Bible, and we have dispensational theologians here today, and I understand why they think that way, but it has always been that you are saved through grace, not by works. Let's go to verse 13. And that's punctuated. Clearly, Paul says to those in Rome, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. Abraham was saved the same way you and me are saved, and that is by faith in God. Who is Jesus? God. Amen. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. So the scripture very clearly teaches us that we are all made right with God through faith. Now, something else in verse 14, faith in God in everything that we're reading is pointless if religious activity will save you. Again, I remember being brought up in a religion that as a baby, if I was baptized my original sin left me and I told you my mom and daddy said it never left that they saw a little sinful brat but many of us are conditioned from the get-go to put our confidence in something external like being baptized but even adults do that today they will put their confidence in something other than Jesus alone so notice verse 14, what Paul tells us about that. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, follow the Ten Commandments, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. I always tell people, then why did Jesus go to the cross? Why don't we just all get baptized and save him all the pain and agony of the cross? and the suffering of the cross and the judgment of God being on Jesus because of our sin. If baptism could save you, circumcision could save you and make you right with God, then why did God leave heaven and become a man and suffer and die on the cross if anything other than that could save you? And also in verse 15, it says, the law or having a Bible or being obedient to the law will not save you. Notice in verse 15, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Let me explain. I could drive over the speed limit without being guilty of a crime. I remember at one time in Florida, way back when, when you could buzz on the turnpike and boogie woogie, right? Do you remember that? Man, you could go 100, 110, 120, and 30. How many, anybody remember those days? And then there was an accident about every half a mile down the road. So I could drive over the speed limit without being guilty of a crime. However, with the law, if I am brought into court for breaking it, 
What causes me to be guilty? The law. The, the purpose of the law was never to save. You kept the Ten Commandments. They kept the law, the 613 laws in the Old Testament. It was never meant to save us. The purpose of the law was to re reveal this fact found in Isaiah 64.6. Here's the fact found in Isaiah 64.6. We are all infected. We all have the coronavirus called sin. And uh, let me tell you something. They can experiment all they want, and they've done that in their schools with evolution and uh, all these other things they've done. They're never going to find the cure there. They spend millions and billions of dollars and waste the time and energy of our kids' minds and your tax dollars trying to come up with a, a vaccine that will cure of sin. And there is a vaccine, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. He said, we're all infected and impure with sin, he said, Isaiah. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. God is trying to nail home to the lost person that's putting their confidence in their works or in their religious activities. Or in, I've been a good kid, or I've been a good person most of my life compared to all those in jail. Who are you comparing yourself to? Compare yourself to Jesus. And when you compare yourself to Jesus, the Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. Verse 16 and 17 repeats, repeats. Salvation, righteousness comes through faith in God. You know, I was walking around in my room. I said, God, I have zero, zero, zero problem believing that you created all this. Because I know someone created this. I know someone created this. I have absolutely zero problem believing that you hung the moon out there and you made the stars. And so my faith is in, like Abraham, my faith is in God. And the Bible tells us when Abraham believed God about having as many children as the stars in the sky, and he believed God at, at 99 years old, God said, boom, your count, ding, righteousness. Righteousness was given to him immediately before he was circumcised, before the law. And he repeats that in verse 16 and 17. Notice, so the promise of receiving, so the promise is received, the promise of what salvation, righteousness, is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it. Let me repeat that. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we have lived according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. The Jewish people thought he was only the father of the Jews. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life, who creates new things out of nothing. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. But 15 year, 14, 15 years earlier, God had already credited his account as righteous. 
I'm skipping over it a lot to get to my last point this morning. All are declared righteous by faith, not by works. All are declared righteous without religious activity, without being baptized, without being circumcised, without religious activity. All are declared righteous by putting hope in God's promises. Notice verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, again, Abraham's 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. They have no children. God's been promising them they would have many descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. Nothing's happening. But Abraham put his hope in God's promise. He believed God was able to keep his promise. Verse 18 and 19 Reminds us, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, kept hoping, believing that God would become the father or that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, how many times does God have to tell you something before you believe it? And when, and when I keep praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when I'm praying for the glory of God to be here, I automatically think, what brings glory to God? It isn't the miracle of someone being healed. It is the brokenness of men and women who will repent of their sins, put their trust in God, rededicate their lives to God, and get busy about the business of the kingdom of God. That's what happens when the glory of God comes upon the church. Yes, there may be healing that may follow. I was playing pickleball. You think that's all I do is play pickleball, don't you? I hardly ever work. I only work on Sundays. That's what some people think. And this guy gets out. Of, you, you've heard me talk about him. He's a guy in a wheelchair. And I said, God, are you putting him on my mind? I've never done a miracle of healing. I'm telling you right now. But somehow in my mind, it keeps going over and over. I can't get it out of my mind. God, are you going to do a mighty work right in the middle of us all playing pickleball? I walk over there. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Get up and walk. Can you imagine all those pickleball people? <laughs> and then God gives me the words to say, it's by Jesus' name that this guy walks. I, I, I'm thinking that way. Do you really think that way? Now, I, can't, I, I know there's no power in me. I can't conjure it up. So I know where it would come from. I'm thinking that way. I'm also thinking about that in this church. There are people that are sick, that are hurting. I'd love to see healed. Mostly I'd like to see people healed of their sickness of sin. It's the truth because I know they need that more than they need physical healing. So in this particular passage, we're putting our hope in the promises of God. He may do that. I don't live for that. But notice in verse 19, he said, And Abraham's faith did not weaken. He kept the faith. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was good as dead, and so was Sarah's. So when the situation seems absolutely impossible, I don't know about you, but that's where I have experienced God. When man gets out of the way, and there, I, you know how you try to figure out how you're going to get things done or, or fix that? Finally, you go, I give up, God. Thank you. That's where I wanted you all the time. Now I can go to work. Abraham knew he couldn't do it, and Sarah knew he, they couldn't do it. But they kept on believing God. 
You have stories and I have stories we could share that we continue to believe God. And it's not a game. We're not just saying it. God has pulled through on his promises. Remember, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. So God is not wanting you and me to put our faith in a miracle. Miracles do happen, but I believe sparingly. But the miracle of a person repenting of sin and believing, of Jesus, believing in Jesus Christ and then watching them walk in the path of Jesus, that's a real miracle that God wants to happen over and over again. Remember what Romans teaches us. The kind of hope we're talking about is not the kind of hope I hope I win the lotto. Romans 8, 24, 25 says, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Adam, excuse me, Abraham waited patiently. He waited a long time. You've been waiting a long time for God to fulfill his promise to you in your life. So when we sing that song, a miracle's coming. If you believe God, he said, if you believe him. And there's some other things that kind of go along with that. But don't complicate it because many people came to Jesus and asked him to do things. And I'm sure everything was not perfect in their lives. Amen. So don't try to overcomplicate it. But your miracle may be coming that you're asking God for. I'm asking for healing in this church. I'm asking for it. Will you pray with me that that will take place? That miracle, why do I want it? I don't want it so, hey, Calvary Chapel, guess what's happening down here at Victory Life Church? That's not the reason I want it. Although I would want the Jewish synagogue next door to say, wow, what's happening over there at Victory Life? People are just clamoring to get in. They're taking up our parking lot. They do allow us to use our parking lot because we allow them to use our parking lot when they have high holy days. We have a holy day every Sunday and every day of the week. In verse 21, as we wind up, there's a lot of scripture. You didn't think we could handle it that fast, 35 minutes, I think. Abraham put his hope in God, not in himself or other things. Notice in verse 21. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. That means when you give your life to him, he's able to sustain you. This hope, this faith, this righteousness that was credited to Abraham's account because he continued to hope. Notice in verse 22. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. When did you put your faith in God and Christ alone and not yourself? When you did that, he credited to your account righteousness. Now, there should be some evidence in proof of that. We'll talk about that at a later time. But the foundation needs to be laid on Christ alone. Faith opens the door for righteous credit coming to your account. The last couple of scriptures, verse 23 and 24. If we have the same hope in the promises of God, he will credit your account. Salvation to your account. Notice in verse 23 and 24. And when God counted him, that's Abraham, as righteous, it wasn't 
just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for your benefit, for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one whom raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And the last passage finally tells you whose work did count to make you righteous. Here it is. He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sin, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. The scripture clearly spells out whose work actually counted in making you and me righteous before God. So today, if you're here or you're looking in online, the scripture has been taught. I lean heavily on God's word to speak to you, not a fancy sermon or a fancy outline. I pray that his word has gone forth. In a church like this, probably, or someone looking in online, they have been putting their confidence they were born in a Christian family. They've been putting their confidence in baptism. They've been putting confidence in their good, and you know that's the number one answer in America. Why am I going to heaven? I'm good. Who are they putting their confidence in? Themselves their righteousness but you've already learned that the best righteousness anybody could bring to God would be as filthy rags all you have to do is this it is easy for by grace are you saved it is a gift from God not of works Jesus did that finishing work on the cross would you stand at this time please if you'll admit you're a sinner it's hard for a lot of people to do in the world believe in the finished work of Jesus that he did it on the cross remember when he said it is finished means he took the punishment he took our judgments was nailed to the tree but remember he came out of the grave indicating he's God and can give you life too remember he said when you believe in him and it is credit to your account righteous you got to remember this he said you have passed from death unto life if you heard this morning and you would like to make that decision. We'd love to pray with you. Come up front. Say, I'd, I'd like to now get baptized. I was never baptized. Or I'd like to give my life to Christ. And of course, if you're looking in online, go to the comment section. There's a tag. Tell us the decision that you have made that you'd like to become a candidate for baptism because God has credited your account. Righteousness. We'll continue to worship God through prayer. I want to invite many of you to come up and pray. When you come up to pray, doesn't mean you're a sinner. We already know you are, but you're a saint. We already know that you're a saint. So when you come forward to pray, we could be praying for someone else. And we're going to continue to see you come as God's blessed you. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.